Revelation chapter number 12, I'd like to ask you if you would stand as we read. We're going to read the entire chapter. I know we read verses 1 through 5 last week, but really verses 1 through 5 are in context with the rest of the um, the chapter as well, and so let's read the entire chapter. Verse number 1, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born." And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. When the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent." The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. The earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is Revelation 12 part number 2. And the title today is Satan's Hatred of God's People. It's a very sobering message because we have a very serious adversary. And while primarily the context of this chapter is dealing with the nation of Israel and those descendants that have the testimony of Jesus Christ, this is a future event in the tribulation period. It's the same devil, and we as the church are also called God's people. And so it's a very sobering thing because we know that we are in a spiritual warfare and the devil hates us 
and wants nothing more than to destroy us. He hates the church. He hates believers. He hates Christian families, and he hates Christian nations. And he has been working very effectively to destroy all of the above. And it would do us well that we take him serious and that we understand what is written about him and uh, this passage of Scripture here in Revelation chapter number 12. Father, we ask you now for your power, grace, and strength. Lord, there is so much more in this chapter than what we could elaborate on. There is more than I even understand. But, Lord, the things that we do understand help us to make good use of our time today to draw out the truths that you have led us to draw out today and, Lord, to not go down any paths or uh, do anything or say anything that would not be necessary for this time and this place. Lead us and guide us by the Holy Spirit. Help us to be wise concerning our enemy. Uh, but, Lord, help us to not have the spirit of fear, but help, help us to have the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Bless your people now as we understand and we, we seek to understand the truths of the prophecy of this book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated and appreciate your patience with that uh, fairly long text. Last week we looked at the wonders in heaven, and as I mentioned, not the wondrous things about heaven, but yet the wonders that John wrote about in verse 1 and 2, he, the wonder of the woman and the wonder of the great red seven-headed dragon. We, we know for sure that the child that was born is none other than Christ. That's an absolute, a slam dunk, if you will. Uh, the red seven-headed dragon is also an easy one to understand. It's defined as Satan and the devil later on in the chapter. The woman, however, is often misunderstood and misrepresented among religion. Some claim that this woman is the church. Some claim that this woman is Mary, the mother of the Christ child. But as we saw last week, the Bible, the scripture bears witness clearly that this woman is the nation of Israel. And the continuation of this drama just goes throughout the entire chapter. Now, in verse number four, we see that the devil sends a third of his fallen angels to the earth in order to, in an attempt to destroy the Christ child as soon as he was born. Now, all the ramifications of this event are not revealed to us what those third of the stars of heaven, what they actually did to try to destroy Jesus Christ, when he was born there in Bethlehem, we don't know all of the details, but we do know that in Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 16, that Herod, who was one of the uh, the rulers there, and we've already seen that Satan is the god of this world and that the kingdoms of this world are under his power and jurisdiction, and it says that Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. 
And so the killing of children is very satanic in all of its origin and in all of its dealings. I, I can say without any fear of contradiction, without any shadow of doubt, that the abortion agenda and issue is certainly satanic in all of its origin. We were out of town just a few days ago, and I saw a billboard that said this. It said, abortion is health care, and health care is a right. And I saw that sign, and I thought, what a horrible, horrible thing to say. And I thought, you know, back in the 80s, when I first got right with God in this region here in the Bible Belt, I can promise you that back in the 80s, that billboard would not have survived. I'm serious. There were some zealous Bible-believing. There was some preacher boys around that I guarantee you that billboard would not have survived 24 hours without something happening to it. And I heard stories about billboards back in the 80s of scantily clothed women that somehow magically overnight got clothing spray-painted on them. I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying be destructive of property, but I never did it. But boy, I I sure did rejoice when I heard of other zealous preacher boys that did. I thought, yeah, good for them. I like that. Some of you are looking at me like, really? I said, absolutely. I think it's amazing that here in the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt, that a billboard like that would survive. I, you know, there would be controversy at the very least, and there would be other things that would be at the very most. But I thought, you know what? They're getting away with that billboard because abortion has been, they've been getting away with abortion for many, many years. And thank God the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. I never thought it would happen in my lifetime, did you? I never thought that it would happen. And listen, the, that war is not over. It'll certainly come back, no doubt about it. We'll have a new Supreme Court at some point, and the liberals will make sure that it gets brought up again. And if I know human nature, and I know the prophecies of this book, that probably it's going to get worse than it ever was, But you know what? That was a good decision, and I guarantee you that there are a lot of babies alive today because the Supreme Court made the right decision. And so I thank God for that. But the devil doesn't. He's not rejoicing in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. The killing of children is certainly a satanic agenda. But this Matthew 2.16, when Herod was destroying all of those two-year-old children... His agenda was not to destroy families or to hurt those mamas. Now, he did hurt mamas. The book of Jeremiah says the voice was heard in Ramah weeping. I mean, there were mothers that were weeping uncontrollably over the loss of their children. But there was an agenda that went far beyond that, and that was the agenda to try to destroy the Christ child as soon as he was born. And we read about that here in the book of Revelation. Herod's failure did not end the devil's desire to destroy Israel. The history of Jewish persecution is supernatural. I'm telling you, you ought to, you ought to look it up. 
sometime and just Google Jewish persecution and you'll see that it didn't just originate back during the time of the Babylonian captivity, but you'll find that from the time of the Gentiles when the children of Israel were captured by both the Assyrians and the the nation of Babylon, that we find that human history is amazing at the cities of Europe. There's hardly a city in Europe that it's not historically chronicled that they persecuted and caused great suffering of the Jewish people. Of course, we know about the Holocaust, where six million Jews were tortured and brutally brutally annihilated by Hitler and his regime. We know about that, but all throughout human history, things like that have been going on in small pockets and medium-sized pockets all over the world in every single generation. But yet we read here about Satan and his angels being cast down to the earth and persecuting this woman, persecuting Israel, and I'd have to say that we ain't seen nothing yet. We haven't seen anything compared to what is going to go against the nation of Israel during this tribulation period. Chapter 12 describes the attack. It's led by the Antichrist on Israel, and it takes place during the second half of the tribulation period. And so point number one, I want to talk about the supernatural battles that take place in the unseen realm. We see it in verse 7 through verse number 9. There's war in heaven. We've got Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon's angels, and they prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. So Michael doesn't prevail, nor does Satan, but they, Michael does the best that he can do, and the dragon and his angels are cast out to the earth. Now, hold your place here and go to the book of Daniel, chapter number 10 with me. Daniel, chapter number 10. Daniel and Revelation are very companion books. In fact, in Bible school, oftentimes, you don't just have a course in Revelation, but oftentimes in Bible colleges, they'll have a course in Daniel and Revelation because the two go hand in hand. In Daniel chapter number 10 and verse number 10, Daniel's speaking here and he says, And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel... A man greatly beloved. You know, it's interesting that Daniel is referred to a man greatly beloved, and John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a great connection in the personalities of both Daniel and the apostle John, as well as the things that God revealed to each of them. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee. And stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And he said, then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. So three weeks earlier, 
Daniel fasted and prayed. He'd seen that vision and he started praying, God, show me what this means. Three weeks pass and here the angel, I believe it's Gabriel, shows up and he's talking to the Lord and he says that God sent me to answer your prayer three weeks ago, 21 days ago. But he said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. And then he says, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. Skip down to verse number 18. Then there came again... Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. There is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. We see here in Daniel chapter number 10 that Satan has assigned certain princes This term prince is the root word of principalities. We read about principalities in Ephesians chapter number 6, where it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Listen, I understand that the Bible also refers to some of the world leaders and kings as principalities and princes. I understand that, uh, you know, that a king or a a national leader would be called that. But in the context, we're talking about wrestling that takes place in the spirit world. This is an unseen realm. And obviously, there are things going on that God has ordered. And yes, while God is in control of all things, there are certain things that God just stays back and lets the natural course of His creation take place. I'm not minimizing His sovereignty But I'm simply saying that he created Michael with a certain amount of power. He created Satan, Lucifer, with a certain amount of power. And this this war that's going on in heaven, God could have certainly intervened. And by the way, one of these days, God is going to intervene and he's going to cast Satan into the lake of fire. Praise the Lord. I should have heard some more amens out of that. You believe it? Are you glad for that? Absolutely. But the time is not yet. It'll happen eventually, and God's going to make everything the way that it ought to be. But there are certain things that have to happen first. And so all of these are going on here in the spirit world. We find that Satan has assigned a certain prince to the nation or the kingdom of Persia. We read that he also had a certain prince or devil that had been assigned responsibility of the kingdom of Grecia or the 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 kingdom of Greece. 
And Michael, the archangel, has been assigned by God as a protector and defender of the nation of Israel. We know that by the end of chapter number 10, but we also know it from Daniel 12 and verse number 1. It says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Daniel and Revelation, they go hand in hand. We can understand things in Revelation by studying Daniel. We can understand things in Daniel by studying the book of Revelation. Now, the Old Testament Jew didn't have that privilege because they didn't have the book of Revelation. But God has revealed these things to us about the future. And you may say, well, preacher, what does it matter if the church isn't going to be here anymore? It matters because God wants us to know. We're not supposed to be overtaken. We're not supposed to be asleep. We're supposed to, as God's people, be able to see what is coming in the future. Why? Because this is all part of God's plan. Why would we not want to know what God has freely revealed to us about the future? Too often, we get too concerned about just what affects us. It's not about me and you. It's about Jesus Christ. He's this man-child that's going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. God wants us to know what's going to happen to the nation of Israel and how that Jesus Christ, their king, is coming back. He wants us to understand and see this drama as it unfolds, as he revealed to the apostle John there on the Isle of Patmos. And so look at with me back in Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 10. And I want us to see the tactics of the enemy. And, and maybe I should rephrase that. I should say many of the tactics of the enemy. This, is, this isn't a conclusive study. Satan uses all kinds of things to destroy and to demonstrate his hatred of God's people. The devil will use things that are even good and that appear to be righteous. But within this text, we see some things that we need to understand about the devil. Look at verse number 10 with me once again. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Watch this. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about Satan as an accuser. But before we do that, I want to lead up with some principles that go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We need to understand how the devil works We need to understand for our own spiritual warfare, but also so that we can see God's plan for all of this entire history of the human race. Do you know that Satan has always been a persecutor of women? Now, I understand that in modern days, it's almost politically incorrect, or we're not supposed to make a distinguishing difference between men and women, but frankly, I don't care. All right? I was born a male, 
And if you were born a female, you are a female. Your DNA makes that clear. It's scientific. And we're supposed to trust science, right? They say that about evolution, but they sure don't like that about social issues, now do they? Gender, LGBTQ, is a bunch of nonsense. I shared this with my Sunday school class. We were in a restaurant just the other day. My wife comes out and says there was a man in the restaurant. Not the restaurant. Yeah, it was a restaurant. In a restroom, the restaurant. Did I get that right? A restroom in a restaurant. There's a man in the woman's restroom. And I thought, man, I would have liked to have known about that. I, I mean, I didn't even think about that. You say, what did you do? Well, I didn't know about it till after the fact, so I didn't do anything about it. But I guarantee you, if I would have known, I would have said, I probably said, sir, you're going to have to leave because my wife needs to use the restroom. Yep. You got quiet on me. What, what would you do? Oh, you know what? Well, it's okay. It's no big deal. No, I'd take that as a big deal. A very big deal. You say, well, what if he would have, what if he would have got ugly with you? Well, I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought that through. I might have got ugly back. Say, but aren't you a Christian? Yeah. I, but I would, like I said, I was born a man. So I was, I've been a man longer than I've been a Christian. I I don't know what I have done. I don't know. All I know is it's just nonsense. So I'm going to say this. Satan from the very beginning has been a persecutor of women. Who did he go after in the Garden of Eden? He went after Eve. Now, ladies, don't get all upset. I'm not, this isn't a, there's no, I don't even, what's the misogyny? I never can say that word right. All right, this isn't anything chauvinistic whatsoever. This is just simply the way that things are. This is the truth. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, after Satan deceived Eve and deceived and Eve partook of the fruit and he, she gave to her husband with her and the entire fall of the human race took place. It says, and I will put enmity. This is God speaking. He says, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know why there's so many problems in Christian families today? I think that it's twofold. Number one, I think that there are Christian ladies who are not under the headship of their husband. Secondly... I believe that it is husbands that are not taking the spiritual head and leadership and protecting their wives. Paul made it very, very clear that the woman is the weaker vessel. The man is supposed to be a protector and a provider of the woman. We're living in a generation where that is not the case. 
And I think we all know that. I don't think that I need to spend any time proving that. But that's the twofold reason why families and churches and why our nation has went down the toilet is because Satan has found an inroad. He's always going to be attacking the woman. God said that it would be that way. He said, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, there's much more than meets the eye in the drama between Cain and Abel. All right, we know there's a lot of practical truths about the difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice, but there's more going on because Eve said in Genesis 4, verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, she bare a son and called his name Seth, for God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Now, you can trace back the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ through Seth all the way back to Adam. If you don't believe that, you can find that in Luke's gospel uh, quite clearly. First John chapter 3, verse number 12 says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. There was more going on in this drama than just simple human jealousy. There was some spiritual provoking going on by Satan to slay Abel. Cain was the one that was listening. You know, we, we all make that statement sometime, oh, you're of the devil. Jesus told the Pharisees, ye are of your father the devil. How did he know it? He said, because you're doing the works of your father the devil. There's a lot of people out there in this world that the way that they live, you just look at them and say, they're of the devil. God's people ought not act that way. We ought not act like the devil's people. If you're a child of God, you ought to act like your father, God, not like your father, the devil. The devil's a deceiver. The devil's a liar. The devil doesn't tell, he'll tell some truth, but he'll never tell the whole truth. You got to be careful got to be careful about partial truths and perceptions and smoke and mirrors. It's where the devil works. Now, verse number 10 here, we saw that one of Satan's biggest tactics is accusations. The doctrinal application of verse number 10 is Satan's accusation against Israel. And by the way, he uses the same tactic against you. Satan's accusations are not always without merit. That's where he finds his power, is a lot of times he'll say something that there's some truth to it. But a lot of times he, you know, how about with Job? Remember what Satan did with Job? Doth Job fear God for naught? He's accusing Job to God, but he's presenting something that's hypothetical. Oh, he, he just, Satan just, oh, I know, I know Job. I know Job better than you do, God. The only reason he's serving you is because you got a hedge about him and because you blessed him. And, oh, he knows all about Job's motives. And so he's accusing Job based on Not something that Job has done, but based on something that he thinks Job would do, 
if the right circumstances took place. And that's the way the devil works. He'll throw some smoke and mirror, some feeling, some uh, some impression, and he's always accusing God to man. He did that with Eve. Yea, hath God said, Oh, God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, you'll be like him. He's accusing God to Eve, and then he turns around, and with Job, he's accusing man to God. You know, if you study the book of Job, there's a perfect picture and type there of Israel going through the tribulation. You ever considered the fact that Job is 42 chapters? 42 divided by 7 is 3 and a half? No, that's not right. 42, 42 months is three and a half years. I knew I had that wrong the first time. Three and a half years, it's relevant. And that's why the Lord says to the nation of Israel, consider Job, because Israel's going to be going through a great tribulation period. You remember the time when Satan is invoking Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Balaam goes up on the top of the mountain and he looks down on the children of Israel and he makes a statement. He says, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Numbers 23, 21, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Are you kidding me? Was there iniquity in Jacob? Was there perverseness in Israel? Absolutely. Ask Moses. He'll tell you, these are stiff-necked people. Man, they're hard-hearted. They're rebellious. That was the reality, and Satan has some foundation in his accusation, but God says, I'm not going to listen to the devil. God's not beholding that iniquity. We read about the error and the way and the doctrine of Balaam, all in the New Testament, and these are all addressed to the church. You remember when Balaam could not seem to turn God against Israel? He couldn't curse Israel. Do you know what he did? He couldn't get God to curse them. He taught Balak to teach the people to compromise. He he got... Balak and all of those people intermarrying with the children of Israel. And he said, if God won't curse them, I'll get them to curse themselves. We'll corrupt their walk. They'll start following other gods. And once they're corrupt, then God will take care of it. And you know, that doctrine of Balaam was very effective. And you know, that doctrine of Balaam has been working with the modern church since the 1940s. All of the compromises for seemingly good causes. The devil, the devil put up with the mass evangelism back in the middle part of last century. The devil said, I'll give up a few souls here and there if I can corrupt the nature of the church. And that is exactly what he has done today. And that's why preachers that are truly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaching the whole counsel of God are so few and far between. It's the doctrine of Balaam, and it's right there in the book. I'll say the same thing that I said in Sunday school. If contemporary Christianity uh, would just simply read the Bible, we would recognize this. 
But sadly, and I saw it just the other day, a younger believer who spends more time in Google than they do in the Word of God. If we'd read the Bible, we'd be able to recognize some of these things. And so these are the tactics of Satan. And then I close with point number three, and I want to talk about God's help for his people. Look at verse number six. It says, the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. God is not delivering this woman, Israel, from the attack of Satan, of the dragon, but God is making provision. He's making provision. Now, look at verse number 17. It says, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This makes it clear that this is not just about the ethnicity of the Jewish people. This is far beyond just typical anti-Semitism. This is a group of Israelites, of Jews, who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior here in the tribulation period. And notice it says that they keep the commandments of God. You know, we're not saved by keeping the commandments of God. But in the tribulation period, there's some works involved in their salvation. I know that's controversial, but it's right there, black and white. Read the book of Hebrews, and that makes it crystal clear as well. I mean, that is unless you spiritualize it or explain it all away by going to a different language. Or I mean, I've seen a lot of two-step dancing by theologians as they try to teach the book of Hebrews. I, I don't know about you, but I just want to believe it for what it says. Amen? Besides God sending Michael to help Israel, there are many other things the Lord does to help his undeserving people. Here we see in verse 6, once again, that God prepares a place in the wilderness. Some have supposed that that is the that um, that mountain country called Petra there in the rock. I don't know if that's what it is, but once again, uh, God prepares this place and they, they flee to this wilderness for 1260 days. All right. I messed up the Job 42 chapters thing, but 1260 days also is three and a half years. So we see God uses different ways, whether in order to describe this three and a half year period. Look at verse number 12. It says, therefore, Uh, I got the wrong verse here. Um, Verse number 14. Look at verse number 14. It says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. And so God gives her these two wings, and it says here that um, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. A time is one year, times plural is two years, that gives us three years, and a half time is a half of year. You ought to write that as a note there in your Bible, a time times and half a time, 
is three and one-half years. Now, hold your place here and go to Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 24. He said there's going to come a time where this thing's going to take place called the abomination of desolation. And basically what that is, if you compare Matthew 24 with 1 Thessalonians, we find that the Antichrist, who gets his power from this seven-headed dragon, we find that he sits down in the temple of God and basically says that I am God. Daniel says that the Antichrist is going to make a seven-year commitment, a seven-year treaty with the nation of Israel. But in the middle of that seven-year period of time, he's going to break that. And what's going to happen is he's going to totally turn on Israel. This says here in Matthew 24 and verse number 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And so God is going to give the nation of Israel, he's going to give these people two great wings so that they'll be able to flee into the wilderness. Now, I don't know exactly what those two wings are. I think it's a possibility that maybe there are maybe two nations that are helping out the Jew, helping out the Israelites. It may be just totally figurative that God's going to bless their flight into the wilderness as they try to escape the onslaught, the armies, and the persecution of the Antichrist. But if you go back to Revelation chapter 12, we see that in verse number 16, excuse me, let's look at verse number 15. It says that the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. I think it's possible, and this is just a possibility, that these waters from the sea represent a massive amount of people and nations and armies that are coming against Israel. And the only reason that I speculate that, and that's all that it is, is because Revelation 17 and verse number 15, actually, let's look at that. We've got just a moment here. Revelation 17 and verse number 15, we're we're looking at the Antichrist from a political kingdom of the earth realm, but here in Revelation 17, we're seeing the Antichrist working in the religious realm. And there's a woman here that's sitting, uh, that's called a great whore, and she is certainly against Israel. 
And it says here in chapter 17 and verse number 15, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So I'm not saying emphatically that these waters that the dragon is spewing out after Israel. I'm not saying emphatically that these are armies and peoples, but I'm just simply saying that in my mind, it certainly seems like a possibility or even a plausibility. We see here in verse 16, back in Revelation 12, that the earth helps the woman. The earth helps the nation of Israel and opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. I, I thought about that and I thought, what, what could that be? And the only thing that comes to my mind, the earth helping this out, is I thought about all of these ecological judgments that come upon the earth. If there's any truth to the fact that these waters that the devil throws at the nation of Israel, if they are peoples and nations and armies, then what's going to stop them from coming in and destroying Israel? Well, the book of Revelation, that second three and a half year period of time, it's not just the political maneuvering and the warfare of the Antichrist of Israel, but we've also got all kinds of other ecological disasters that are coming. And I can't help but wonder, the earth stopping all of those people coming from Israel, that maybe that's a connection with all of the disasters that end up interfering with those armies coming against Israel. I mean, you're not going to be able to fight against all of the elements and the earthquakes and the water turned to blood and all of those disasters and plagues and so forth. That's going to affect all of those nations and people that are under the Antichrist realm. I don't know if that's what's going to thwart this attack. All I know is that the Bible says that God's going to allow the earth to swallow up those waters in order to protect his people. Now look with me as we close in verse number 11. The greatest help that God gives these people in the tribulation period is spiritual and internal. It's not just the place prepared in the wilderness. It's not just the two great wings of the eagle. It's not just the earth opening up. It's not just Michael the archangel wrestling with the devil, but it's something that goes on in the hearts and lives of each one of these Jewish believers in their Messiah. Verse 11, it says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. The blood of the Lamb is a powerful thing, brothers and sisters. Not only is it powerful to these people doctrinally in the tribulation period, but listen, I'm not saying that this truth doesn't apply to us. Practically, it does. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 25, it talks about the propitiation that we have in Jesus Christ through faith in His blood. Listen, we are sinners, we are Gentiles, but thank God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to a holy God. 
How do we overcome the accuser of our brethren? How are we going to defend ourselves? Listen, if you've ever been born again, you had to get real before God. You didn't, you weren't able to be like the average person. It's just, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I know I'm, I'm a sinner, but isn't everybody a sinner? You know, that good old boy mentality that, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not as bad as some and not as good as some others, but you know, I think that God's going to be okay with me. If you've ever been saved, then you'll never have that kind of attitude because salvation comes when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and you realize, I am a sinner. I have sinned against a holy God. I have offended Him. I am at enmity with Him and I need to be reconciled to a holy God. You say, well, if you've ever tried to clean up your act, you find the futility in that. I mean, even if you did totally clean up your act, what are you going to do with all of your past offenses, all of your past sins? And they haunt you. They, you still feel dirty and you still feel guilty. And listen, Satan's going to make sure that he reminds you and God of every sin you've ever committed, whether it be in secret or whether it be in public. Every skeleton in your closet Satan has painted a perfect picture before God. What are you going to do with that? I'll tell you what you're going to do with it. If you're going to do anything, it's going to be pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can cleanse you of your sins. It is the only thing. Listen, when God looks down upon me, I don't want him to see me as I am. I thank God, as the song says, when he sees me, he sees the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice here it says that they overcame him by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Listen, God had done something for them. It was miraculous. It was something, it wasn't just a, oh, name it, claim it kind of thing. It was powerful. Their life was changed. The word of their testimony. You know, I I struggled with my salvation back early on after I got right with God. And I struggled and the devil, the devil, he would throw everything at me. He would say, well, you, you didn't do it the same way that they did. You didn't feel the same way. You didn't respond the same way. Listen, some well-meaning preachers would tell their testimony about how they got gloriously saved. And I got saved when I was a five-year-old boy. I, I, I think it was glorious. But I always looked at that and I go, man, I'd like to get in on some of that glorious salvation. You know, they talk about, you know, coming to the altar and weeping and praying and jumping up and shouting and saying, I've never doubted it, not a second in my life. And I'm sitting there going, I was five years old. I don't remember the details. Man, I want to get in on that. And I tried to get in on that. I'd come forward and I'd say, God, I want to be saved. I I confess that I'm a sinner and God would never do anything for me. You know why that is? Because he already had. Listen, the Bible says if you're saved, you're saved to the uttermost. 
If you receive Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ lives inside of you, he's a person. He's the same in me as he is in you. He's not changing. You know what my problem was? Is I was looking for God to do something that he'd already done. And God cared more about my faith than he did my feelings. You know, if God would have answered my prayer and made me feel saved, he would have been answering it and contrary to the word of God, because I had already believed in him. I'd already trusted Jesus Christ. I had already put my faith in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. If I stand before God one day, and I don't think it's going to happen this way, but if, hypothetically, if I'm at the gates, and God says, why should I let you in? And I'm not going to point to the fact that I've been a preacher for 30 plus years. I'm not going to point to the any good thing that I've done. I'm going to point to Jesus Christ and I'm going to say because of the blood that your son shed on Calvary's cross for my sins. That's what my faith is in. That's what I'm trusting. You know what? That's the only way. The word of your testimony. The devil's accusing you. You know the best thing that you can do when the devil is accusing your conscience? Just go, yep. You're right, devil. I'm all of that and then some. Just get real and just get transparent. Quit hiding behind your ego and your pride and let the word of your testimony, yep, devil, I did all of that. I am all of that. But praise the Lord, it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that ought to make you rejoice. That's the power that we need to overcome the devil. And then notice it says here that they love not their lives unto the death. You know, if you're going to have some victory over the devil in your life, at some point you're going to have to have some surrender. You're going to have to trust God. And Jesus himself said that you're not going to find your life until you lose it. And that's what many of your problem is here today is you're not totally surrendered to the Lord because you love your life too much. I have my plan for my life. This is what I want to do. This is what I expect out of my life. And you you just want to take total control. And the Lord says, you know what? You can do that. You have a free will. It's a free country, as we say. You can live as you please. But you'll never experience spiritual power and victory over the devil until we get to the point where we say, Lord, my life, it is not my life, it's your life. I'm giving my life to you. They love not their lives unto the death. That's why that they could figure, hey, whatever happens to me, it's of no consequence. You know, the reality of it is the devil can do everything everything he wants to you, but he cannot affect your soul. If you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. If he destroys your life, it's just a temporary life to begin with because God has given us eternal life. Why are you living? Why are you living for this temporary little time period? You know, you're living your life In the scheme of eternity, you're living your life for about 1.3 seconds worth of enjoyment instead of an eternity 
millions upon millions of years of blessings and enjoyment. And when you get on the other side, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. At some point, if we truly, you know, really at some point, when persecution, when the devil throws everything at us, and I think some of it's coming our way, at some point, we're going to have to start believing what we say we believe and get real with God. Not this name it, claim it, not this mamby-pamby, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's going to have to be real, and it's going to have to come from the heart. That's the only thing. You can convince people around you. You can even convince yourself when you look in the mirror. But when the devil shows up, just like he did with Job, Job was tested. Now, I wouldn't say Job passed every test with flying colors, but I will say this. Job had a genuine trust in God. And at the end of the book, we find Job saying, I repent. Job saying, I loathe myself. And that's where we all have to... Job loved his life before, but he had to be willing to put it in God's hands. And then God turned around and blessed him with a whole lot more than he ever had to begin with. I close with this verse, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but thank God, Jesus Christ is our advocate. And not only is he the one defending us before a holy God, before a holy righteous judge, but he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means to make favorably inclined. Just like I said earlier, When God looks down at you and I as his children, he doesn't see us the way that we really are. He sees us through the eyes of his son, Jesus Christ. He has taken the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he has put it on our account. And I thank God for that truth. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Watch this. You can't just take this truth of Revelation 12 and verse number 12, or excuse me, verse number 11, and just say, well, that's for the tribulation period. These same truths are 100% relevant to us in this church age, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Satan hates God's people, and he hates the Jewish people especially, that woman who gave birth to the Christ child, his persecution against Israel is supernatural. It's unexplainable. But I tell you what, if you're a child of God, Satan is going to persecute, hinder, and try to destroy you as well. He's going to do everything he can to destroy good churches, good families, good men, good women. He's going to try everything he can to destroy young people The only way we can overcome him is by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and stop loving our life and be willing to put our lives in God's hands and say, God, whatever comes, whatever comes my way, I'm going to trust you. 
and I'm going to surrender that to you.